0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Social Sport. I'm Emma Zimmerman, and on this podcast, I feature conversations with endurance athletes of all types committed to fostering social change. The athletes that I speak with on this show are climate change activists, mental health advocates, promoters of more inclusive outdoor spaces, and much more. Through Social Sport, I share the stories and thoughts of people who explore the connection between sport and activism in their lives. So let's dive right into it. Today, I am speaking with Maddie Faneth. Maddie is a professional biathlete from Old Forge, New York. She has been racing internationally since 2014 and represented Team USA at the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. She races with the nonprofit organization NICEF in Lake Placid, New York. Maddie combines her love of the outdoors with an ongoing effort to protect it by advocating for environmental sustainability. She is currently working on issues such as climate change and clean air with the nonprofit organization Protect Our Winters. Hi, Maddie, and welcome to Social Sport. I'm so happy to have you on today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course. Can you draw me into your space right now? Where are you in the world physically and mentally today? So I'm in Lake
1: Placid, New York, which is in the heart of the Adirondack Park in upstate New York. Um, Right now it's kind of overcast, but we've had some sunny days mixed with mud season. So, like rain and all the snow is thawing. Um, I finished my race season at the end of February. So, the last month or so, I've just been kind of hanging out and resting and recovering from the racing. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Well, that seems like a great place to be at. I absolutely love upstate New York. And I know, I mean, you're originally from upstate New York so I can't imagine how amazing it must be to train there, right? Yeah, it's pretty perfect. I mean, having so much access
1: to the outdoors um, and so many different variations of training abilities like up in the mountains and on the roads for roller skiing and everything in between, it's pretty great.
0: That sounds perfect. So, Maddie, this podcast is about athletes of various sports, and some of the listeners might not be familiar with biathlon. Could you do a quick overview of the sport of biathlon for anyone who's not as familiar?
1: Yeah. So, uh, biathlon combines cross country skiing and rifle marksmanship. So, athletes are on their skis, and we have rifles on our backs, kind of like backpacks, and we race from anywhere between a three kilometer race up to 20 kilometer races. So we have a lot of different variations of racing and with each race we're either shooting prone and standing or we shoot prone twice and standing twice. So we sometimes have shorter races have only two shooting stages and longer races have four. So there's kind of a lot, (laughs) but essentially it's just skiing and then we come into the shooting range and shoot with a high heart rate which is the challenging okay. part.
0: <laughs> yeah, as a runner, my mind is absolutely blown by biathlon, let alone at the Olympic level. Um, I love watching videos of biathlon. And I actually came across when I was preparing for uh, to chat with you, I came across an interview with Olympic biathlete Susan Dunkley, where she said it's like trying to run up a flight of stairs as fast as you can and then thread a needle. And that oh, is, yeah. <laughs> that's so analogy. interesting to me. Yeah. This transition from this very intense cardio activity to a very focused activity. So, I have so many questions about the sport, but first of all, how did you get involved in biathlon to begin with?
1: Yeah. So, I actually grew up my early childhood in South Carolina and we were competitive swimmers. So, I already kind of had that endurance type background. And my family and I moved up to Old Forge, New York when I was eight. And there wasn't a swim team anymore and so my parents uh had us learn how to how to cross-country ski because our town of forge is just like they're obsessed with skiing everyone skis basically either cross-country or downhill so that was a perfect way to kind of um get used to the winters in upstate new york and so i skied and skied competitively from age eight um all through high school and stuff And when I was in high school was when the local biathlon club in my town didn't really have anyone involved. And so they invited the high school Nordic team to come to the range once a week and learn how to shoot. So that's when I got introduced when I was 15 years old. And since then, I thought that the sport was really challenging and really a cool opportunity. And so I kept going to training camps and kind of got more and more involved as the years went on.
0: I love that you were drawn to it because it was challenging. I think that that shows such an athlete's mindset. <laughs> yeah. How do you go about training for a sport with these two very different components? So, normally,
1: so we we train 6 days a week and we're typically training twice a day. Um we kind of go uh I don't know. So some weeks we have like low volume weeks and some weeks we have higher volume weeks as with any sport. Um, and we're mostly doing endurance in the summertime and then once the fall gets closer we do more intervals and that kind of stuff but we're shooting probably at least 4 times a week so we're shooting a lot um and we'll start out in the summer with like so when i start training in may um we'll just focus on just the shooting and not doing any running or roller skiing with that and then once we get into June and July is when we start doing the roller ski combos. So that just means, um, for anyone who doesn't know what roller skis are, which I'm assuming a majority of people don't, um, it's the closest thing we can get to training for cross-country skiing in the summertime. They're um, kind of like roller blades, but they have a wooden, uh, just a, a piece of wood in the middle. And you can put your ski binding on it. And so then you're using your ski boots and you're kind of rollerblading sort of um, with your ski poles. It sounds really silly, but it's like the closest thing we can get to training for skiing in the summer. So we do a majority of that.
0: Yeah, it's really cool to watch roller skiing, in my opinion, too. It looks very intense.
1: (laughs) It's very uh, it's a very funny sport.
0: (laughs) And you mentioned we, so there's a group of you out there training with NICEF, correct? Yep. What does that look like? How many of you are training together?
1: So NICEF is is mostly a junior program and also like a collegiate for athletes who are in college and they're home for the summertime. They can train with NICEF as well. Um, and it wasn't until last year when they started their elite program, which was me and a couple other athletes joined that. And so last summer, there were three elite NICEF athletes, all females, and there were probably about four collegiate athletes. And then the rest were juniors. And I want to say there are maybe like 10 or 15 junior skiers slash biathletes. So there's probably around like 20 of us that are training during the summertime from ages like uh, 13 and up. They do also have a like a development program too for younger kids.
0: That's a really interesting structure. It probably seems, it seems like there's a really strong mentor mentorship program then, and probably a lot of inspiration for the younger athletes yeah, seeing definitely. you all.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the coolest part. Um, joining NICEF was being able to work with the younger kids and just having like an older woman, like woman to look up to. Cause I remember when I was getting into the sport at a young age, there wasn't, That many people that I knew that were older females that were involved. So I'm really trying to like
0: encourage the younger girls to like stick with biathlon and that it's not only a boys' sport. For sure. And I'm sure that's a really important thing for them to see to have that role model in you. So obviously, biathlon is a winter sport. And what I love about your work with Protect Our Winters is that you're using this personal connection to winter. That's so important to your sport and your livelihood. And you're using it to talk about climate change. Could you explain what Protect Our Winters does and how you got involved with it?
1: Yeah, so I got involved with it through just browsing the internet one day. I I was really bored in my dorm when I was living at the Olympic Training Center here in Lake Placid. And I felt like I wasn't doing enough with my platform um, and I felt like I needed some sort of organization or something to be involved with so that I was, feel like I was using my voice for something besides just here I am training. And so I was kind of browsing the internet for climate change organizations and I came across Protect Our Winters and they had already created this athlete ambassador program that was built by Jeremy Jones. Um, and Essentially, it's just a group of athletes, winter athletes who um, would use their platforms in order to share POW's message. And so I wrote down um, for you what POW's mission statement says. Um, So POW's mission statement is, we believe that by engaging and turning a critical number of passionate outdoor people in key geographies into effective climate voters, we can add enough power to the climate movement to win at the margins. So in order to do that, POW has been focusing on key states this year for the upcoming presidential election. And those include New Hampshire, Maine, Michigan, Colorado, Nevada, and North Carolina. Um, And they chose those states based on a few things, one being the value of the margin of the 2016 presidential election and the 2018 congressional races. And so their ultimate goal out of that is in order to get 40,000 pledges to vote for on the presidential election. And obviously we can't tell them who to vote for, but we want to encourage them to vote for people that will vote for sustainable futures in our country. Mm -hmm. Um, So in general, I just like really was drawn by their mission statement and thought that it was a really cool organization that they have. And so I've been really lucky to work with them the last few years.
0: Yeah, it seems like a really great strategy they're using to spread the word about advocacy for climate change or against climate change because they're really using these personal stories of athletes, but also they have such a great political strategy, it Mm -hmm. seems like. And I know that, you know, for my own climate activism work, I know that personal stories are so powerful in getting people to notice a movement. Mm -hmm. Um, So I absolutely love what Protect Our Winters is doing. And I know you've spoken a lot about uh, climate change and other environmental issues, and you've also traveled to D.C. to talk with policymakers. Is that correct? Yep. Could you tell me about your experience in D.C.? Yeah, so I was like
1: super nervous going, and I almost didn't go because I was so nervous, and I just felt like, yeah, I was like, I don't know if I belong down in D.C., but it's funny because like, I had made the original plan, or I planted the idea into Pau's head during the Olympic year. I sent an email to them, just being like, "Hey, is there any way that we can do something with Pau? Because as an Olympian, you get invited to the White House to meet the president, and I personally didn't want to meet the current president. And so I was kind of reaching out to Pau to see if there are any other options, or if we could do some sort of um, protest type thing, like if I could wear." something specific but that would have been too hard because the US Olympic Committee is very strict on like what you can wear at the White House. So anyway POW helped me kind of create this trip with a few other Olympians to go down to Capitol Hill kind of during the same exact timing as Team USA was invited to the White House and so I did that trip instead which I thought was really awesome. Um, But anyway I was super nervous Um, But once you kind of are in the legislator's offices, you realize that they're just humans, too. And there's nothing to be scared or nervous about. And they just want to listen to what you have to say. Um, So like you just said, like they want to hear real stories from real people. They're not trying to hear all the like scripts of numbers and science stats. Um, Just being able to tell your personal story and your own connection with climate change is what draws them in. And so that's kind of the advice I'd give to others who are interested in traveling to Capitol Hill is just having your own story laid out and not trying to like spew too many facts.
0: For sure. And I want to go back to what you said about how Olympians go to meet with the president. And I really admire how you stayed true to who you were and you really use that strong voice to say, this is not what I believe in. I don't want to meet with this current president because I think that that goes back to the connection between sport and social change. I think athletes have such a strong platform. And I really admire that you are able to use that to say, I don't believe in this. I'm going to do what I believe in. So that's really Yay. awesome. <laughs> um, and thank you for all of the work you've done in DC as well. Thank you. And I know that aside from your climate change and environmental work, you're also a vocal advocate for mental health. And that's something that you've written and spoken publicly about, especially your experience of PTSD. And I can link your writing on that in the show notes. What inspired you to share your story? Um, so I'm not really sure like what sparked my inspiration to share it. I
1: just knew that I had been working on that blog post on and off for like a good year or so. Um, and so I kept going back and forth, whether I should even post it or not for a while. Um, but what it really came down to was just wanting people to realize that I, I and other athletes also go through their own struggles. And I wanted younger athletes to realize that they're not alone. And that if they think that they're dealing with something that's bigger than they can handle, and they should be able to ask for help and they shouldn't feel ashamed for doing that. So that was kind of the ultimate
0: um, reason, I guess. Have you gotten any feedback or anyone who's reached out to you and been affected by that article? When I first
1: posted it and it was on I had posted it on my website and then I shared the link on my Facebook and my Instagram accounts and after that whole first week I was getting like tons of comments and messages being like oh my god we're so happy that you shared this like we're sorry you went through this but like it's really helped me realize that I need to go to therapy or like those kinds of things and like if if it helps even just one person like reaching out to go to their first therapy session or talking to somebody and realizing that they have a problem um then that's like all that needs to happen so i definitely did get a lot of um feedback after that first week or so posting it um and i did like a podcast with faster skier about mental health
0: mm yeah and as much as you're comfortable with could you give us a little background on what you wrote about in that piece yeah
1: so basically I wrote out about my years leading up to the Olympics I felt like I was just in like a tunnel vision of like trying to qualify for the Olympic team and I wasn't really happy training anymore and I remember even coming up to my coach in like 2016 being like hey like I think I want to quit. Like, I don't really know if I like doing this anymore, but he was like, oh, well, I'm pretty sure you'll qualify for the Olympics. So if you can just like stick through it till then, which like, isn't really a great comment to get feedback when you're saying that you're not happy doing it anymore. So the whole underlying tone was that I wasn't really that into training anymore. And I was kind of just going through the motions and then somehow I still qualified for the Olympics. I like barely qualified. Um, I made the alternate spot. And so going to the Olympics, I knew that being the alternate, I wasn't necessarily granted a starting position. And so I was happy just going and experiencing the whole process. Um, But the coaches had mentioned that if I was training well, then I would possibly have the opportunity to race. Because with biathlon, there's so many different startings. Like, there's so many different races. So there's opportunities for everyone. Um, And so I did a really good time trial one day in training and so my coaches came up to me afterwards and said that they would give me the start spot for one of the races the individual um so i was really excited i finally like announced it on facebook because everyone had been asking me like when am i going to race and so i finally told my family and all my friends and all of that and i was really excited and then the morning of the race i woke up and in pyeongchang we were racing in the evening at like 8 pm so we had the whole day to kind of like hang out and get ready for the race. So I woke up in the morning and I had like a really tiny scratchy throat. And if I was like not racing, I wouldn't even have noticed it, but I was just being really in tune with my body and was like, okay, scratchy throat, I'll like drink tea and whatever. Um, And I didn't really think anything of it, but then our race ended up getting delayed till the next day because there was really strong winds. And so I just mentioned to my, doctor the team doctor that i had a scratchy throat because our policy is that as soon as you feel any sickness at all you need to tell the team so that you're isolated and then they basically were like oh well we have the resources so let's just test you for strep throat just to get it out of the options and so we went down and i got tested and i tested positive for strep throat and so then i was on antibiotics and then my coaches were like oh sorry but we're not going to put you in the race anymore because you're sick but I was like begging them like, can we please just wait till the last minute to make that decision? Because I could get better with the antibiotics in like mm-hmm. a day and a half. Like you don't really know. And it's the Olympics. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back. And, um, they were just kind of like, they didn't see how I felt. They were kind of like, well, it's the Olympics. We're not going to take any risk by putting someone who's who might, who might be sick in the race. Mm-hmm. And I just like, didn't really agree with that. Um, but I just, I ended up getting like more sick anyway. I got the flu on top of, um, having strep. And so I was just like the sickest I'd ever been. And I think to me, it was kind of my body just like finally like shutting down <laughs> mm-hmm. with all of that stress, um, from the last, cause like the whole process was super stressful. So anyway, I kind of wrote about leading up to that is, uh, that happened. And that was like the reason why I, that was like my PTSD was like, months after up to like almost a year after i, I kept having thoughts of like um like i didn't lay like i didn't think of myself as an actual olympian and i wouldn't tell anyone that i went to olympics like if they asked or like i would just never bring it up i'd like try to avoid i would just be like i, I essentially was just like lying to people and not really giving them the full story and um there'd be like many different nights where i'd be like crying myself to sleep because i like couldn't like get rid of the thought and so that was when I was finally like oh I should like probably deal with this because it's not going away on its own obviously and it's been almost a year since it happened and so then I started going to therapy and she really helped me like just sort out the thoughts and like think of it in a different way and the fact that like I can even talk about it now is like a big reason or like a big outcome of therapy because at the time I couldn't even talk about it without getting into tears so that was the whole (laughs) the whole situation um and so i felt like i just needed to like get my story out because i didn't want people to think that like that could happen to someone and it would be like not a big deal at all
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing that and i think that that is going to be so helpful to many people because mental illness and different mental health struggles i think are so prominent in athletic communities and probably even more so at your, the higher level, um, although it's prominent across the board because your, your livelihood, your life is so tied to this athletic identity and it can be so hard when anything else comes out. I'm sure that that exacerbates the mental struggles that everyone <laughs> feels yeah. um, in the athletic community. And I think that as more people share their stories like you did, the less of a stigma there is and the more people who will get inspired to get help. So I really definitely. applaud you for doing that. Is Thanks. there anything you're doing now to uh, take care of your mental health? I'm sure people would love to hear that if they're having. Yeah, struggles.
1: I mean, I try, I definitely need to, I, after this whole, I, so I went back to racing this season after taking a year off after the Olympics. And so this race season was the first season back after a while. And I could tell that I need to find different ways for this coming season to approach certain things because there was definitely moments this winter where I was really low and kind of depressed Mm -hmm. um, but in general I try to Journal my thoughts down because i'm i'm not very good at Like processing my feelings (laughs) and so like writing it out really helps. as many of us aren't (laughs) Yeah, so I found journaling is really helpful. Um, I try to meditate when things get really crazy um and practicing yoga but I definitely like recently haven't been that great at keeping up with that kind of stuff this past month so I've been trying to like get back into it because I've realized that like I know that I'll be happier and more balanced when I do it it's just hard sometimes to like push yourself to do that when you're
0: feeling low Mm -hmm. so those are a few of the things that I do. For sure. Selfishly, I want to know what you use to meditate, whether you use a meditation app, because I personally have tried to get into meditation for a long time and have not been successful because I have such a loud brain. So I would love to hear what you do. I use the app Headspace. Okay. Yeah.
1: And I found it I, I just like his voice and like the way that he does it just helps me but it might not be for everyone I don't know if you've tried that app I think it's a pretty popular one it um,
0: is a pretty popular one and I've meant to try it for a long time and i uh, yeah. hearing more about how how popular it is will hopefully push me and maybe yeah. other people listening <laughs> to try and a
1: lot of they have a lot of free meditation on there but you can also pay for certain types
0: of meditation too okay awesome yeah definitely worth checking out So we have talked about many pieces of Maddie Fanef, and I would love to know about your goals for the future, both in sport and activism and anything else.
1: Yeah. um, So right now I just want to continue enjoying sport for as long as possible. Um, And if my training and racing leads up to the next Olympics and I'm trying to qualify, then that would be great. But I'm trying – ever since the last Olympics, I've been trying not to have – like these intense long-term goals i just try to think of like process goals and make sure that i'm like checking in with myself to make sure that i'm feeling good and so i've been trying to do a lot more like day-to-day goals like oh today i want to focus on this during training or whatever and so hopefully those mini goals will lead up to the bigger goals um but hopefully we'll see maybe i'll be at the next olympics um just two years away um and then with activism i just hope to be able to continue working with pow in any format um i'd love to travel to dc again because that is always really fun and you feel a sense of accomplishment i guess because with social media it's like oh you never know who's looking at it and who might do whatever call to action you're trying to do but when you're talking to the legislators you feel kind of more a little bit more powerful i guess um also pow's goal is outlined as wanting to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. And so I'm on the same page with them on that. Um, And in order to see that, we need to see a cultural shift in our country. So we must embrace renewable energy, electric transportation, carbon pricing policies, and prevent fossil fuel extraction on our public lands. So that's kind of the same goal that I have with the activism. It's just continuing working with POW and hopefully we can reach those goals.
0: That sounds like an awesome goal, and I'm so inspired by how many climate change-focused groups and movements are sprouting up. It's really, I think, when there's a loss of hope, sometimes a lot in this country, it is really motivating to hear about all of these groups that are doing such incredible things. Do you have any advice for someone who might want to get involved with Pal? If there's anyone listening who is more is interested in checking out Pal.
1: Yeah, um, so first of all their website is protectourwinters.org and their social media handles are protectourwinters on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they are trying to get more and more volunteers involved with, with POW um, because in the past we would have, the, there. there's always so many events across the country that are trying to get POW to either be at the event with like a booth and that kind of stuff. And there aren't enough athletes Cause usually they would have their POW ambassador athletes like going to these events which they still do but they're trying to get a more volunteer base throughout the country and so if you're interested in volunteering with POW you can email them at info at and just mention that you have heard that there's they're needing more volunteers and just kind of mention like where you live and how you can get more involved um But yeah, if you're willing to, if you have the means to donate to PAL or any other climate change organizations that you believe in, um, definitely do that. Um, And then another way you can get, just have your voice heard more is by calling your representatives and asking them to vote on climate and sustainability.
0: Awesome. Yeah, those are great resources for people. And I echo that call your representatives. I think especially right now, a lot of people have. A lot of downtime. People are working yeah. from, from home, so call those representatives. Get out They're there, work for climate All policy. I have to say
1: is like, hi, I'm from here. I want you to vote for for climate, like climate activism. <laughs> it's pretty easy.
0: Yeah, I love that you say that because I think a lot of people are very intimidated by calling their representatives, and it's pretty easy. That's basically what what you you say, right? Basically, name where you're from and what you want. Exactly. Awesome. So I'm so excited to see everything that you do in the future. You have a long career ahead of you in Biathlon, and I can't wait to see all that you do in your advocacy work as well. And I'm just going to end with a question that I ask everyone on the platform, and that is, why is sport such a powerful platform for social change?
1: So I kind of wrote out a semi-longish answer, but um, go for basically, it. okay, so I think that athletes tend to have such a huge fan base, especially if you're super well-known. So like some of the well-known POW ambassadors include Michelle Parker, Tommy Caldwell, and Claire Gallagher. And just out of those three athletes who come from very different sports, big mountain skiing, rock climbing, and trail running, you're reaching a fan base of 873,000 people on Instagram alone. So that's only a small fraction of POW's athlete ambassadors. They have 103 and more with similar fan bases. That's a huge number of people that are looking up to these athletes and so I think if they're seeing these athletes and thinking, "Oh, Michelle Parker and this athlete and this athlete and this athlete that I follow all think that we should we need to vote for a sustainable future or that drilling for oil on public lands is bad, then maybe I should start thinking about that more often. Um, so basically I just think that athletes have a huge influence on other people. And so what POW has created is pretty genius just tapping into the outdoor community like that. Um, even when we're visiting legislators at the Capitol, we're almost treated like VIPs when we walk in. People want to clear their schedules in order to hold an Olympic medal. And so while they're doing that, we just nudge them and be like, hey, you should really vote for a greener future. And so I think sports is just like something that everyone in the country kind of looks up to. They're either participating in sports recreationally or competitively, or they're watching sports. And so I think it's just a really big fan base. And it's, I think Powell, what POW has done is a really great idea. Does that Absolutely. answer your question, I guess? Yes, <laughs> it
0: does. That was, an, that was a great answer. And it's so true. I mean, we all love sports. There are so many people who are drawn to sports at In many different capacities and I think it's awesome that you're able to use your platform to push for what you believe in and to get other people to follow along so thank you so much for sharing that and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today I've loved speaking with you and learning more about what you do
1: of course it's been really fun
0: thank you for listening to this episode of social sport if you enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more about Maddie's biathlon career or her advocacy work, please visit maddiefanoff.com or follow her on Instagram at maddie underscore fanoff and on Facebook at maddiebiathlete. If you want to learn more about Protect Our Winters or maybe you want to get involved yourself, please visit protectourwinters.org or follow them on Instagram at protectourwinters. Like Maddie said, one of the best ways to push for action against climate change is to call your legislators. You can find more information on how to contact your legislators, as well as other resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes at anchor.fm slash social If you've enjoyed listening to these conversations, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. I so appreciate the support. Thank you. And until next time, keep sporting and keep resisting.